Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bon Jovi Discussions. Today, I have someone who doesn't need an introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. Uh, this guy, he's always got a great smile on stage. He's always bringing so much energy to the stage. And uh, he's worked with many artists like Bruce Springsteen, Bowie, uh, Hall & Oates, and most importantly, Bon Jovi. He also has got some really cool uh, solo music out. And that's really cool and funky. We'll get to that. Uh, everyone, we have Everett Bradley. Everett, how are you doing today? Good, good. Good to see you. Nice to be here. <clears throat> Thanks for coming on today. Uh, so, uh, are you staying safe? You know? Yes, I am trying to stay as safe as possible. Right. I, I just got one of these hand sanitizers that's hanging on my belt. So I'm like... I feel like I'm armed all the time. <laughs> armed and ready to go. Exactly. <laughs> now, I, now, I know you had the virus, uh, and obviously you're doing a lot better, thankfully. Uh, yes. If you, don't, if you don't mind, how, how, what was that like going through that? That was something else. I, you know, I don't, I still don't know how I got it. I keep trying to retrace my footsteps, and it just leads to nothing. Um, I was being super safe and really being very careful about bringing any kind of germs into my home. Um, but I went running on a Friday night and then uh, a Friday afternoon. And in that evening, I started feeling achy. And I thought it was a little weird. I thought maybe it was much sore muscles from the run or something because I just started running that week. And then I got up the Saturday morning and it was full on fever headache, chills, and it was like that for 10 days straight. Oh my gosh. After three days, that's when I lost my sense of taste and smell, and then two days later, I started coughing, and then by the 10th day, I was on the phone with an ER doctor um, wondering if I could go to the hospital or not. Wow. She, she was actually, we had a virtual session, and she watched me walk around my apartment and she just decided that it wasn't necessary. She said that her patients usually walk from one room to the next and they're totally out of breath or they have to take breaths in between, you know, every few words like in So I wasn't to that level. So thank God she said I would just stay put and I think that you're gonna turn the corner for the better. And sure enough she was right the next day my fever started going away. Everything just started. The sun came out. <laughs> no way. So, yeah, I just missed it. Well, thank God. You said you had it for like 10 days? Yeah, it was like 10 full days of just like, just like ramping up. And then it started coming down. I had like four or five days. It took from, that was my last symptom, like after like say a good 14 days. That went away. But still, just getting over it and your body recuperating for that sort of like how this virus just ravages everything you have is just crazy. It's it's unbelievable, yeah. and um, and it it's so many surprises. Like you wake up one morning and you, there's something new that has just it's like the virus discovers some other little weakness in your body or something. It's crazy. Yeah. It's such a scary thing, and it's scared also to think that the world is kind of trying to get back to normal, 
you know, there's a lot of states right now going into green phase, and it's just it's, it's too early for that. I think it's way too early. Yeah, I really because, do. I think that we should. I mean, how are you going to open up a city with workers if they're all sick? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Exactly. And, you know, and all it takes is one person. So if you, if one person who has the virus goes into a store, gives it to five people, that those five people give it to five, and it just becomes another pandemic. You know, honestly, I just don't think the 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 leaders have done a really good job of explaining how this virus works and, and why some things are in place, like face masks. Face masks are for the person so they don't spit or cough or sneeze and give it to other people. Even when you laugh, you spit. Even if you're talking loud, you're spitting. And you may you could be asymmetric and not have any symptoms, but you could still just, like, infect 10 people just like that. Yeah. Without knowing it. Exactly. You know, I, yeah. I get, we're, we're in yellow phase right now, so we, we can go to the store with face masks. And I still see so many people not even wearing face masks. And it's it's unbelievable the ignorance out there. Yeah. But anyway, so we'll get started. Now, before we get to the whole Bon Jovi stuff, I, I kind of want to learn more about you. And I, I know quite a bit. But... Asking, though, I think that, you know, you're keeping everything based in reality. I like that. What's that? You're keeping everything based in reality. That's good. I like that. Good. Uh, so, my first question for you is, how did you get into percussion and becoming a singer? You know, what, what inspired you to do that? Uh, I was a singer first. Uh, in high school, I was in uh, choir, and I did a lot of musicals. I was doing a lot of theater. And, um, I mean, it's kind of a long story with my family, but they weren't really on board with the whole music thing. They were really conservative people, and they, you know, wanted all their siblings to be doctors, lawyers, and teachers. And uh, here I come along, and I'm like, I want to entertain. They're like, you want to what? So um, it was mostly my dad that was really set against it. And but my mother really seemed to other understand, like what I was passionate about, and she she totally got what made me truly happy. So. Behind his back, she got me voice lessons and then an audition at Indiana University School of Music. And I, I got in, and they even gave me a scholarship. And so uh, my dad was shocked when he found all this out. <laughs> because I already had a scholarship to study engineering at Boston University. But I didn't really want to do it because it's not what I was interested in. Yeah. So, um, so, but he was amazed that not only did a music school like accept me on that level, but they also, you know, gave me money to study there. And so, basically, it came down to dollars and cents. I showed him how much money he would be saving from the <laughs> in Boston, and so that was it. But we made a deal that I had to attach education to the whole thing. So I have a degree to teach music. K-12. Wow, that is great. So that, that, that's pretty cool. So then what got you into the whole percussion thing? So while I was in school, I just wanted to make some extra money, and I joined a funk band called Kilo. And and there was I was the male singer, and there was a the female singer. And the band wanted me to be doing something while she was singing her songs. 
So I was playing some keys and I was singing backgrounds for sure. But they're like, can you play some percussion? So I just picked up congas and I took a couple lessons and just sort of mostly just kind of figured it out on my own. And uh, that's how it happened. Just playing congas in a college funk band. And then when I moved to New York, it became a necessity. Because <laughs> there are tons of singers here, but not a lot of singers that could also play other instruments like percussion. And so we were very, I was part of a small group of people that could do both actually quite well. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a good way to survive in the big city. So, so then you got into Broadway shortly after that, right? Or was it quite a while until you got into that? Like a couple of years after I had moved to um, to New York, uh, my roommate, uh, who's Sean Pelton, Sean is the drummer on Saturday Night Live. And wow. we went to college together and we moved to New York together. So we were roommates. And while he was um, at Saturday Night Live, he said that he got a phone call about some weird percussion group that's looking for performers. And he said, I'm not really into it. It sounds kind of weird. You want to check it out? And I'm like, sure. So I went to the audition and I got cast and that was Stomp. And, uh, and I, um, so I was part of, I was the first American to participate in Stomp. And then after the, it was a British show. And so after it became a big hit, the British cast trained an American cast to keep the show going, and then they left me in charge. And so I became the director, the New York director of Stomp. Uh, how'd, so, how'd you like doing that? Oh, <laughs> easy peasy. Total life change, game change, everything. Mostly because, have you seen the show? Uh, for Stomp, no, I haven't. So it's about a show, it's a show about uh, uh, these eight characters, and they play found objects. They play junk, they play anything from zippos to um, trash cans to kitchen sinks to rubber tires to basketballs to rubber tubes, and it mostly has sort of an industrial feel. But what's so great about the show is that it's based on who you are as a person, as a character, as a, a rhythmic person. So when I came in, they knew that I had a theater background. They knew that I was a good mover, a good dancer. They also knew that I played percussion. They also knew that I was a singer. And so they sort of like groomed the role around me. And that's what they do. They groomed the role around any individual that comes in. So it keeps the show fresh and unique. And it also makes you deal with yourself like, what is it about me that's special? You know? Yeah, it makes me stand out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I think that forced me to um, really um, embrace who I am as a, as a person, as a human, as a performer. Yeah. And that, that's like you, like you said, you know, going to New York City, being a singer, there's millions of others aspiring singers, but what makes you stand out compared to the others? And percussion was your thing that yeah stand out compared to the others so that that's pretty cool um so we'll get into the whole bunch of everything shortly but how did you uh actually <laughs> but how did you uh get into like david bowie and all the notes and, and bruce Springsteen? 
Wow, those are all different stories. Well, quickly, um, David Bowie, um, that connection was through Mark Platty. Mark Platty is a, a, a producer, producer engineer, and we went to college together. And he was working with David Bowie at the time, and um, he did a record called Earthling with Bowie that he um, co-produced and engineered. And I think the album after that was something called Hours, a record called Hours, and they needed a track that had needed percussion. And so he called me, and uh, it was a recording session, and basically came in and played um, djembe on it, djembe and shaker. And, and then, but David wasn't there. He came into the session afterwards, after I left and heard it and loved oh. it. And then he invited me to the listening party, and that's when I met him, and uh, he was incredible. And then I ended up auditioning for his tour as well, but he didn't take me. He he wanted a woman to sing. Oh, yeah. his loss. We found a, a female percussionist, singer percussionist, yeah. So how did you get into Bruce? That's a really good story. Um, I, uh, this was like summer of, no, it was November 1990, no, 2000, what was it? 2011. That's when it was, yeah, yeah, um, A friend of mine, Bobby Bandiera, do you know that name? I know Bobby, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Bobby calls me, he said, listen, Everett, I had a gig for you if you're available. It's, um, he gave me the date, the time. I said, yep, I'm available. He's like, just need you to sing and play percussion. I'm like, great. He's like, I'll send you all the music. And these are the rehearsals. I'm like, great. So he sends me all the music. And I notice that they're all Bruce Springsteen songs. Well, I'm, I call him back and I'm like, Bobby, what's going on? <laughs> Why am I learning all Bruce songs? He's like, well, I'm really not supposed to tell anyone, but he's throwing a benefit for his son's college because uh, I think his, his uh, son started a college fund um, to help students that needed income to go to school there. Okay. So he did, uh, so he's doing a benefit at Stone Pony and uh, didn't want to use his full E Street band, so he just used Bobby. He asked Bobby to put together a band to learn his songs. So I, um, I learned all the songs, and they hired... Um, a percussion setup to be there by the time I, I got there so I wouldn't have to um, bring all my stuff. So when I got there, all my stuff was set up in the front of the stage, which is rare because usually I'm back by the percussionist because they like to have the rhythmic guys or people together. So I said, Bobby, what's going on? Like, why am I at the front of the stage? And he goes, well, I just figured, you know, it might be fun for him to just, like, play off of each other or whatever. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, Bobby also knows me. Like, if you, you know, uh, push me to the limit, I will perform. <laughs> so Bruce gets on stage. He, he does a sound check. He hardly pays that much attention to me. He's just like, he introduces himself. And I think he's just sort of listening and taking in everything. But at showtime, 
he was hanging out with me the whole time. He put his arm around me, and we were doing dance steps together and playing percussion together and singing on the same mic. And it was like, yeah. So then that was in November. In January of 2012, I'll try to make the story short. Um, in 2012, I get a phone call from Bruce's management saying, Bruce had such a good time with you, and he's considering having a percussionist for the first time on his next tour and want to know if you can come in and rehearse with the band uh, this week. And I said, wow, that's really incredible, but I have to say no. And he was like, um, what? <laughs> and I said, I am going to Japan with Hall & Oates and we're leaving in three days and uh, um, once I, you know, make a commitment, I usually, like, stick to it. He said, do you think you could leave a day later because our rehearsal is on a Wednesday? He's like, maybe you can do that. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, man. <laughs> and the management, they were shocked, too. And they were like, wow, um, okay, are, are you wow. sure? And I said, uh, yep. And so hung up the phone, and then right when I hung up the phone, I go, oh, shit, Everett, what did you just do, dude? Oh, my God. I should call him back. So anyway, I go to Japan with the Hall of Notes. I get an email from Bruce's management, and they said, um, can you take a picture of your percussion setup? And then when you get back, give us a call. I'm like, Wow. So I took a picture of it and I sent it back. And then I, as soon as I got back, I called. And then the management says, well, um, Bruce was so impressed with your commitment and not breaking it that he decided to wait for you. Wow. That's a, that's a good story. I like that. That's cool. So when I showed up to the rehearsal, they had an exact replica of my percussion setup. Like to the height, everything. So, and but they wouldn't send me any music to learn because they wanted to know what I would do on the fly. Because did you do? Did great. I mean, they just started rehearsing. He wanted to see what I would do, just like using my gut. And apparently, he liked it. And uh, he kept me on. And and. Yeah, he, after two, I think it was three rehearsals, he came up to me, he goes, I know you're in the Hall & Oates band, he goes, but I would love for you to join the road, he goes, but I want to make this as smooth a transition as possible, because I know you're going to have to leave that situation, if you want to, if you can, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> Don't ask me twice. So sweet of him to try to, you know, help me figure that out to like have a smooth transition so there's no bad feeling and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I, I like that story because, you know, we were talking about standing out, what makes you stand out from other aspiring artists. And you showing that kind of character makes you stand, you know, being committed you know, mm. to what you've already committed to, you know? So that shows character and that's another thing that makes you stand out. It's pretty cool. Um, but let's talk about your solo work because I love your solo stuff. Uh, like uh, Holly Delic, 
<laughs> I like the anywhere you want to be, throw it all away, which you, I think you did for the shadow of the hedgehog, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back in the day, I remember that. Hey. Dysfunctional. Yeah. I love dysfunctional. How old are you? I'm 27. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but your your solo stuff is is so cool. It's like it's it's like a twist of jazz, but with like a little bit of rock. But it's so funky. And I love it. It's great. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, Thank you. So how did the whole holodelic come into play? Because that's that's really cool. That's something that I've been carrying around with me for a long time. Um, when I was uh, still, um, before I was a teenager, my uncle brought home a Sly in the Family Stone album. I don't know if you're too young for that band. Um, but it was sort of my introduction to funk. And I listened to it. It was like, oh my God, I love this. It was like a big band and it had all different kinds of people in it. And there, all the messages were about life and love and earthy and groovy and sort of always one. And I just loved the sentiment and the feeling and just the rhythmic aspect of it. And I think I've carried that sort of groove thing all my life. And so I made a Christmas album and um, I decided to embrace the two to be funk and Christmas. Are you talking about your album Toy? No, I'm talking about Holodelic. Holodelic? Toy, okay. Toy is before Holodelic. That is like the beginning of it. Toy, I wanted to make like a wide-eyed sort of contemporary approach to Christmas. Like a, a, a real sort of look at it for what it is now. And then that sort of morphed into Holodelic to bring in like a, a deeper sort of pocket funk to it with characters and everything. Sort of like uh, uh, George Clinton, Bootsy Collins. Um, if you look up those guys, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. And Fire, to I'm trying to think of other bands that you may have heard of. Even bands like the Commodores or um, uh, Ohio Players, Confunction, uh, oh, there's so many. Rick James. <laughs> and the, the music videos, too, um, the holodelic and, and all those, they're so funny. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, it lifts your spirits, you know, especially during the Christmas time. You know, I know some of my um, Bon Jovi friends, they went and seen some of your holodelic shows, and they've said nothing but good things. Oh, that's really sweet. I've seen some people there. Yep. Yeah. So sweet come out. But yeah, I for me, it's a big release for many reasons. Just because it's the my joy of my childhood. It's the joy of bringing all kinds of people together. And it's not just faith focused on like a Christian belief or um, Jewish beliefs or any of that. It's everything at once. It's more just humanistic and heartfelt. And, uh, and personally which is a crazy thing. Both my parents, they passed away at Christmas time. So it's a, a good way for me to get through the holidays. Yeah, lift, lift your spirits up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So and, with uh, celebrating them as well. Uh, and we were talking about the toy album, which is, I think it came out, what, 2002? Yes. Like that? Yep. And, and people 
don't realize it, but you did a song with Richie Sambora. Yeah. Uh, called Funky Santa, I think it was called. What, what was that like? I think that was right off the heels of doing a tour with him. Uh, he did a solo tour. Uh, was it after his record Made in America dropped? Yeah. In 99, 2000, yeah. Exactly. So we've always been in touch and been friends, you know. And uh, when this song came up, uh, it just seemed like it should be a duet, and it just felt like it's kind of his flavor. And so I sent it to him, and uh, and I knew when he was going to be in New York. And the time he just worked out, and he came over in a car and came to the studio and blasted it out in like 30 minutes. <laughs> He's unbelievable. He's so good, so good. And he uh, sang the song, and then he rocked a couple guitar solos. Boom, out the door, and killed it. Well, yeah, that's it, a cool song. I like it. Um, and then here's the, here's the big thing. How did you get introduced to John Bon Jovi? Because I know you started during the Destination Anywhere period. Yes. Again, this name comes up, Sean Pelton, the drummer from Saturday Night Live. Sean was on that tour, the Destination Anywhere tour. And they, because Dave Stewart produced that album, uh, there was a lot of uh, percussion loops on the record. And John wanted those loops played live, all the shakers and toys and stuff. And so we asked Sean if you know any percussionists that could do this. And Sean was like, look no further i know the perfect person and then once john found out that i sang that was icing on the cake that he had another voice in the band so uh i did one rehearsal and he was like yep sounds good let's go let's do it, <laughs> and it was, and that was like 1997 we've been friends ever since and i've been doing various incarnations of so what, friends what was like rehearsing, what was it like meeting him and the rehearsing for the first time like? Were you nervous? Um, I had actually seen him perform at the Stone Pony before I did that thing with him. And he came up, he sat in and did some old school song from the 50s, and I can't remember what it was. But his command of the stage and his voice like how it just like went through the mic and like up your ass was so awesome <laughs> it was so good and i was so um I, I was just amazed by his sense of style and performance and his voice and so i'd always sort of been in awe of him and plus i was watching all the videos when i was in college so once i saw that live i think i was a little just nervous about keeping my own shit together but it wasn't until we're out on the road where I really got to know him and meet him and, uh, and see what a beautiful person he is. Yeah. So what, what was it like to tour Destination Anywhere? I remember it was a very quick, short tour in different countries just to be able to promote the album and movie. But what was it like? Um, I think you know, it was the first time that he had really had played with other guys, you know. And so that was new for him, and I think new for all of us, really, to experience this through him. But, you know, he called us the big dogs, which is funny. I think he just saw us as a, a bunch of, like, junkyard dogs that like, gotten together and just made, you know, some street rock happen. And, um, 
Yeah, it was a good, it was cool. It was a really good hang. And he really went out of his way to make sure that we were taken care of by taking us to nice restaurants and really introducing wow. us to nice people and having great experiences. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, he was fantastic. That's, that's cool. And yeah. then, so now we, now we fast forward to 2003 when you did uh, this, this Left Feels Right live. Now, I don't think you played on the album, right? I can't remember how much you know. This is so sick. I told you I'm a diehard fan. <laughs> you are crazy. I love it. <laughs> did, you, did you record on that album for precautions at all? No. I don't remember if you did. No? Okay. No, I just did the the um, the DVD. Is that what it was? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. The Atlantic City. Yep, exactly. And, and that that whole uh, what, what was your experience like with that? It was cool. I mean, to hear those songs that way was really incredible. And you know, for a band that has become like a worldwide mega phenomenon based on those like big stadium rock hits to have the humility uh, and the courage to rethink and reimagine their own work I thought was really incredible that they were willing to do that and, uh, and really brave and they didn't know what was going to happen but I love that they just took a chance and went for it. And I got to be a part of it and watch, you know, yeah. and, and, and be, you know, perform. And, you know, it was a really, uh, it's a great compliment to, uh, for them to invite me to be a part of that live on campus performance. And, and that, that was a great concert. And, and I always say this, and this Left Feels Right is kind of one of those albums even in the diehard fan base, it's not as popular. But it's actually my top five favorite Bon Jovi albums because Why? because I, I'm more of a deep track. Like I love the hits, obviously, but I like the deeper tracks and stuff like that. So it was kind of nice to hear an album where they redid, you know, Wanted and Prayer and all those. And it, it kind of brings you in and gives you a twist and makes it more intimate. Yeah, and that's what I loved about the album, you know. And it was so great to see the band take a chance and do something different because all the other bands from their from the '80s and '90s, whatever, never do that, you know. Mm. And they started the whole unplugged thing, and I think that's what kind of inspired that's true. Them. That's you true, know? right? I forgot about that. Yeah, MTV was still alive, You're kicking. Yeah, <laughs> not now. It's more about reality shows, but. <laughs> But yeah, so that, that was pretty uh, pretty cool. And then, um, you know, like the other night, you guys did uh, It's My Life for the Robin Hood Relief. And that was so cool because we haven't seen uh, the band. We've seen John do it solo. Yeah. With the band acoustic like that was so cool. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what that was like to do that? Great. Uh, well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the Zoom whole thing is process it's just i mean it's still <laughs> evolving and people are trying to figure it out and trying to basically we're trying to figure out how to make entertainment in this you know pandemic and so thank god for that format and instagram and all those formats are like coming to life 
but to be able to make music, to make sound happen, is, is can be difficult right now. I'm sure uh, we'll get there eventually. So, <clears throat> but what was cool about this thing is that John realized that the band had never played a ballad version of It's My Life. So it started with David. John sent like a little demo, acoustic demo that he had done. You know, because I'm sure you've seen that with Lorenza and and uh, and Greg and and who else does that? Um, I can't think. For the, for the Kings of Suburbia? Exactly, exactly. So anyway, so David did his own piano version first and sang vocals. Then he sent the recordings to me. I added percussion and sang. Then I sent it to John Shanks. He had an acoustic guitar and sang. Then he sent it to Phil. Phil sang and did his solo. And uh, and then it got sent to <laughs> Huey and Tico, and they did their parts. And then it came back to John, and then they put it all together. So it was almost as though we did it together, you know, because we had to, like, listen to each other and feel each other. And we were on the phone talking to each other about what kind of vibe we wanted to do with it. But it was really fun, actually, and it was a real interesting way to bring the band together, even in a sort of socially distant way. Yeah, and I feel like that's going to be the future of bands playing together for at least this year. Yeah. You know, um, that, that's pretty cool. I, we were really happy to see it, because we thought John was going to do, um, you know, prayer and, you know, stuff that he usually always does. But yeah. we were in the fan base, we were very happy to see It's My Life Acoustic, you know. Yeah, it was, oh, he was smart. Yeah. Um, so then, This House Is Not For Sale tour, back in 16, how did you get involved with doing the promotional shows, like pl the Palladium show, and then going into the tour? How did that happen? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, John called me when I was working at a kid's summer camp. I Volunteering... <laughs> I work with kids that stutter, actually. Um, the It's called SAY, Stutterers Association for the Young. I'm a musical director. And so I was at summer camp with them in North Carolina. And I get a phone call from John, and John says, I have a new record coming out, and I want to do, like, a little mini theater tour and want to know if you will, like, come hang with us and just check it out. I'm like, sure. So I get in there, and I'm like, oh, my God. It's like... A new band. But, uh, so uh, I learned the record and learned uh, the vocal parts and percussion. And, uh, and it was cool. We did like this sort of theater tour. And, uh, you know, where he was just singing the tunes and talking in between and talk, bringing in his life. And, uh, and, inspiration for the songs and uh yeah but uh we ended up doing ellen i think yeah you did knockout i think on that show that's right knockout yeah and you know for me i just thought i was just doing the promotional sort of tour but it was after the ellen show he pulled me aside he was like um can you just stay around and tour with us i was like huh <laughs> <laughs> he 
He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm really feeling this, and let's do it. I'm like, awesome. So he like kept me around, and that's why that was sort of the beginning of me being a part of this and playing with the big band. So, so what is it like to go on stage in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of? Oh my god, amazing. Well, um, for one thing, uh, artistically, it's really challenging for me because I'm singing higher than I ever have in my life. <laughs> There's a lot of high notes, especially the earlier songs. High notes, and I'm not used to that. I, like, even with Holodelic, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but, you know, in this band, I'm like, like that and higher it's crazy so i have to be extremely disciplined like i don't drink on the road at all there's no partying there's like lots of sleep and lots of good behavior because <laughs> i have a huge responsibility to to uh to perform and perform well yeah. so that's I mean, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of hard work, but it's a good payoff. The band is incredible. Oh, no kidding. It's like one of my favorite bands I've ever played with. Well, like, I, I, I've been to 53 shows, and they still blow me away. The, the band is such a well-oiled machine, and yeah. it's, a, it's fun to be a part of, like, part of the, what is it, cog in the wheel or whatever. Yeah, be part <laughs> so, of the group. Exactly. And, and, and you know, you, you guys are so in sync with each other. Like, especially when you do like band jam sessions and stuff, it's it's so cool. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's so good. What what's your favorite song to play? One song that you look forward to every night. Uh what songs? Oh, there's so many. Uh well, I I love Living on a prayer so much to me that is just like that's my jam, but um, that's like dance party to me. There's a remix of that, is there? There's a lot of remixes of that song. <laughs> um, I like Knockout too, and one of my favorite songs that he never does. <laughs> um, what is it? Uh, oh God, I'm not thinking of the set list right now. But it has sort of like an EDM kind of vibe to it. Oh, um, I know. Yeah, um, I tell me more. What is it? Oh, now I want to talk. Can you tell you the lyrics to it? I can tell you. Uh, wait, let me just look at the playlist that I have here because I know it's in there. Um, is it is it another born song? <laughs> born again tomorrow, or born to be my baby? Who does born to be my baby? I think it's born again tomorrow. It's born again tomorrow. Yeah, that, 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 that kind of has an EDM vibe to it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think he's only he played it during the the promotional yeah. shows, but not through the tour. Yes, and I always ask him to do it, and he was like, "I know, I." I should do that one, but he's like, it's too similar to other songs that I'd rather do. 
But, I mean, I just like dance music, so that's part of my trip. And um, I love... Um, um, I mean, I like all the big anthems. I do. Yeah. I'm a sucker for them. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, like deep cut B-side guy. I'm more like, just give me like the big jams. Maybe because I grew up on them or something. Yeah. yeah. Now, you'll be on the future Bon Jovi tour, correct? Next year. Yes. Yes. I was going to be on the one that was planned for this year before the pandemic. Yeah. But hopefully, I, th I you know I think John's aiming for next year from what he said in interviews. But and, and I'm, I'm on the last. I'm on the new album as well. Oh, you are. Yes. Oh, okay. What can? What's that? I did. I recorded with the band, not in the same room. I did all the overdubs, like background vocals, percussion, like after the the rhythm section played. Okay. So. Uh, on this recording, what can you say about the new album? <laughs> it's really good, and it's really personal, I think. I think it's one of the most personal albums. Yeah. See, yeah. That's, that's what I love about some of the albums. They're so personal. You know, we go back to Destination Anywhere. That's yeah. one of my favorite albums that John has ever written. It's a solo album, obviously, but it's one of the most vulnerable and open albums John has ever written. And those make the best songs. They really do. You know, because that's when we connect with him so much is because he writes honest and open songs. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm glad that you're on the album and I'm glad you're going to be on the future tour because you deserve that spot on the stage because you, you always have a smile. <laughs> always. Whether it's a picture or in a video, you always smile. Much. I should. Everyone's being all tough on stage. And, I'm, <laughs> and they're like, mm, and I'm like, yeah, yeah it's a party. <laughs> but, yeah, and you, you bring so much energy and a style to the band. It's, it's great. Oh, that's really nice. That's really sweet. I think just because I like to dance and I like dance music, and I just sort of bring that sort of energy, like party kind of energy to the stage, I think that that has uh, uh, made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we uh, before we wrap up, um, I know you mentioned about Say earlier, and I know that you've been involved with that for quite a bit, and I think that's actually a really cool uh, program that you're passionate about. Can you talk a little more about Say? Yeah, um, I've been... Uh, it was born out of... Um, a friend of mine named Carol Alexander, we did stomp together. And we were having Indian dinner one night, and uh, he told me that he was a stutterer, which I did not know at all. And once he told me, then I was like, oh, I can hear it in his voice now. Like, whenever he pauses to speak, it's because those are little blocks. But um, I never knew. I thought he was just making a point. Anyway, um... He told me that he wanted to start uh, a, uh, a theater program for kids, spe specifically who, for kids that stutter, and asked me if I would be the musical director. And I was like, sure, yes. And then, boom, it has grown. 
like crazy. There's now a say in New York. There's a say in D.C. There's a say in Australia. There's kids from all over the world, all who had a stutter, and uh, and they're all on different levels, um, from really light to really severe. But what I do is I bring music. I teach them singing, and songwriting, and drumming, and um, and I'm also on the board. And it really is fulfilling to me, and I'm very passionate about it. And to see the kids blossom and become themselves, and really embrace who they are, and embrace their voices, is really uh, that's the payoff for me. Yeah. That's great. Cause when I was a kid, I in kindergarten up until fourth grade, I had a huge stuttering problem, and I oh. had to I had to see uh, a, what do you call those people? Speech path, speech, all these, whatever you want to call them. And she sat down with me every day in school, and I had to read books and stuff. And thankfully, I overcame it. But I remember that's something I had to deal with when I was a kid in elementary school. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Um, before we wrap up, do you have any cool stories with? Bon Jovi, the band, like during tour, like any really cool stories you want to share? Oh my God, there's so many. Wow. Um, I guess we were, I mean, just recently when we were all sitting around having dinner before a concert backstage, and we always have dinner together, which is nice. It's kind of like a family wallet. We all eat soup together like chicken noodle soup together was it's Tico's, of... Tico's mom's recipe I think <laughs> I love it it is the best ritual it just it feels so beautiful and homey um, but we were having dinner later after the sound check and then um, John says Everett why don't you take the second verse of um, Bad Medicine and everyone at the table went silent. <laughs> and I was like, what? Because <laughs> I don't think he's ever done that. Does he ever give that verse away? No, I don't think he ever has, no. Exactly. So I think that's why everyone was like, what? And then after that, they all wrapped their heads around, they're like, yeah, yeah, I think that'll be fun. Yeah, go for it, Everett. I'm like, really? What? I was freaking out. So that happened. That we were in South America, I think. Last yeah, year. last year. And so I was so nervous. And he usually does that song like towards the end of the show. So the whole show, I was a mess. Nervous about that moment. <laughs> it took me everything to just get the songs and just concentrate so I could be ready to do that and then uh, yeah and I did the second verse of that song and that was it I started doing it every show after that wow that's cool I didn't know you did that I must have missed it on, on video or something and I'm sure you could pull it up on YouTube oh I'm gonna <laughs> I can't remember which city in South America is like I think it starts with an I or something okay yeah, I'll, I'll look. I, maybe yeah. I've come across it before and it's just back in my mind somewhere. But that's so cool. So, well, <laughs> obviously, that was a pretty cool moment for you. The same, in front of thousands of fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. Well, Everett, uh, you know, I, I thank you. 
introduced to Bon Jovi? How did I get introduced? Yeah. I was eight years old. And uh, I was sitting, you know, we talk about MTV. I was sitting in front of VH1 music videos, the top 20. And uh, the music video for It's My Life came on. And uh, I saw uh, in the music video, you, you see the stunt actor trying to make his way to a Bon Jovi show. And uh, I thought that was cool, the way he was doing his stunt. And then I saw John and Richie, and I thought they, they, they looked like the coolest guys. And every morning, I would wait for that video to come on. And so uh, eventually, I knew the Crush album was going to be coming out because the video came out in May. The Crush album was going to come out in June. And so I begged and begged my dad to buy me the Crush album the day it came out. And he did. And that entire summer... That's all that I listened to. I just loved every track on that album. And before you know it, I was buying the, the debut, 7800, Slippery, and, and so on up until 2000. Wow. I just, you know, I'd open up the booklets and read the lyrics as the music played, and I just fell in love and connected to the music. And ever since, I've just had this huge connection with the music, and I've made so many friends through the fandom. And I've been to 53 shows, and I, I listen to Bon Jovi every day. You know, they're just amazing. You know, they inspire me to be a better person and, and, and all that. Wow. So, yeah. Amen. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so thank much. You. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming on uh, today. It was great having you, and it was kind of cool to get some insight from you, learn some new things, and uh, it was a pleasure chat with you. <laughs> so, all right, thanks, Albert. Thank you. Take care and be safe. You too.